All right, good morning, everyone. So uh, before we get to the word, let's pray again. We'll start. Uh, Lord, we are before your word, and we are continuing our talk about the Sermon at Beatitudes and what a Christian looks like. Um, today will be a challenging one. Today will be an uncomfortable one because it is something that persecution is something that we fear. But Father, I pray that give us a clear understanding of why Christians are being persecuted. Give us a clear understanding, Lord, that you will be with those of us who are being persecuted. And Lord, and give us this truthful understanding so that, Lord, so that we will be bold in proclaiming your name to our community. So please, please be with us in, 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 in this, in this expo exposition of your word. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, we are continuing our, our sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount. And we are, um, this, is the, we are, this is the last Beatitude. We are in the Beatitudes for the last eight weeks. And so this is the last Beatitude that we're going to study. Now, the Beatitudes, for those of us who are joining us for the first time, is basically Jesus' description of who he is and what his followers, followers look like. That's what it is. The Beatitude, once again, is Jesus' description of who he is and what the citizens of his kingdom look like. And this is very, very important because most people do not have a clear idea of who Jesus is, despite, even if they have gone to church, raised in the church all their lives, if you ask them who Jesus is, they can't really tell you because they have a hard time describing him because they never really thought about his qualities. And if I ask people what a Christian is, in every membership interview I ask this question, sometimes people have a hard time defining what a Christian is because they never really thought about it. Right, and so we are studying this scripture because we're talking. We're, we're studying Jesus's very description of who he is and what a Christian is supposed to look like. So I do, you know, family worship. I have to do more, but once a week I gather my kids together, and I and I study the word together with my kids. And my daughter always says, "Is this what you're going to preach about tomorrow? Are you are you just test subjects?" I go, "Yeah." But so I when I when I leave worship and when I teach my kids Bible. I always ask them questions, right? So what is, you know, and all the questions that I ask is based on the text, right? So according to so, such and such a verse, what does this mean? And oftentimes, the, the questions that I ask my kids, the answer is directly on the text, right? We read a portion of scripture, and I ask them questions based upon what the scripture says, right? And the answer is clearly on the text. But more times than that, when I ask them the question, Rather than looking at the text for answers, what do they do? They try to like make up their answers in their minds. It's crazy, right? If I ask them, like, it's clear, it's right here, it's right in front of you, you just read it five seconds ago. Rather than looking at the text to, for the answer, they just kind of give, give me an answer based upon their impression of things. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of Christians do. Right? If I ask them what God looks like, Rather than going through the scriptures, they tell me a general impression that they have about God. Maybe your impression is based upon certain sermons that you listen to when you're in youth group, right? Maybe your, your idea of God is based on, I don't know, you know, some, it's a hodgepodge of Disney, right? And hodgepodge of just like 
different type of sermon stories that you, 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 like you listen to, and it's an amalgamation of that rather than what is in, in the text. Right? If I ask what a Christian looks like, you'll tell me, oh, maybe a Christian is someone who goes to church. Maybe a Christian is someone who serves the church. Maybe a Christian is someone who's committed to the church. You can't really tell me that. And that is why it is very important that we study Jesus, what Jesus is saying, what a Christian looks like. And, and, and so that's what the Beatitudes are about, right? What does a Christian look like? Christian, according to Jesus, are those who are spiritually poor. Christians are those who mourn over their sins. Christians are those who are merciful. Christians are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. Christians are those who are meek. Christians are those who are peacemakers. And perhaps the most controversial, difficult thing that, that Jesus says, Christians are those who are persecuted. Jesus doesn't say, if you're a Christian, you may be persecuted. Jesus says, if you're a Christian, you will be persecuted. And this kind of shocked me this week. So what Jesus is saying here is, one of the marks of being a Christian, the way you know that you're doing Christianity right, the way you know that you are citizens of the kingdom of God, is if you're being persecuted. What? Never thought about that, did you? I never thought about it. We think, we think of a God about, we think of Christian as someone God blesses, right? God blesses financially, God blesses, you know, I don't know, giving stuff in the world or something, God making us happy. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. The, God, the person that God considers blessed, right? And the word blessed, right? Blessed are those. The word blessed means people that God considers happy. People God considers acceptable. People that God considers a part of his kingdom. These are the people who are blessed. And if you are part of his kingdom, if you are truly a blessed person, then you are a person who's going to be persecuted. Ooh, we don't want to hear that. We want to be liked. We don't want to be persecuted. But Jesus says, no, if you follow me, because the world hated me, if you truly live the way that I want you to live, if you truly belong to me, you're going to be persecuted. So today's sermon is about persecution. Very fun subject. What is the definition of persecution? In our minds, we think persecution means like people being imprisoned, people being killed for their faith, and that is certainly true. Right? The history of the church, history of the church has been built in the blood of martyrs. People, the, we, the Christianity, foundation of Christianity is, is because people have died for the faith. All the 11 apostles, they died, right? They died horrible death by, by proclaiming the name of Jesus. And the early church people were, were, were martyred, were persecuted, were killed because who they say Jesus was. But that persecution is not just because we live in fat America, by the way, I'm not body shaming anyone. None of you are really, right? Because we live in comfortable fat America, we don't think persecution exists. No, it still exists. These are the modern figures, according to this organization called Open Door. Not Open Door Presbyterian Church, which I love, but Open Door is an organization that monitors Christian persecution worldwide, and these are their figures. He said, they say every month, 345 Christians are killed in, for faith-related reasons. Every month, 345 people are killed because of faith-based reasons. What is that? That's what? Like 11, 12 a day, right? People are still getting killed. 
According to this organization, 105 churches a month, 105 churches and church, Christian buildings are burned or attacked. 105 every month. Every month, 219 Christians are detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. It says, they say 245 million Christians around the world experience high level of persecution. 245 million, which, is, which comes out to one in nine Christians are being persecuted in the world. There are people who are literally being killed for what we are doing here this morning. There are people who are being imprisoned for what we are doing this morning. So don't tell me persecutions do not exist. They still exist. They still go on. We just can't see it because we live in fat America. But the word persecution not only means someone who's these extreme forms of, you know, hardship, like killing or imprisoned. The word persecution basically means to be pursued after, to be chased, to be harassed, which basically means if you are if you're being persecuted, it means the world will come after you, the world will chase you, and the world will harass you. And even though we live in fat America, Christian persecution still exists. Exists in very, you know, microaggression. Oh, look at me, I'm a millennial. Microaggression, passive-aggressive type of way. For example, in my workplace, one of my paralegals, um, she's a worship leader at her, at her church. And, you know, like, you know, on Mondays, you know, you go, what do you do? What do you, what, what do, you do during the weekends? And she says, you know, I led worship. And she told me when she was sharing the fact that she was at church on Sunday, she saw another paralegal from another team, like, roll her eyes. Even though my paralegal don't know that other paralegal, when the other paralegal heard that my paralegal spent time worshiping God on Sunday, they, she rolled her eyes. When I, when I share my faith with my paralegals, as persuasive as I am, and as I give very complex answers to, to their questions of faith, more times than not, they mock me. I think they mock me behind my back, but sometimes they mock me right in front of my face. I say, this is Jesus. He's the savior of the world. In him, there is only salvation, right? And then they say, well, I think Jesus is hot. Jesus is ripped. That's kind of insulting, isn't it? They mock me. Right? Because in their version, believing in Jesus is crazy. If you believe in Jesus, the world will think, what, what, what would the world think? Even though we want to be liked by the world, if you truly say that you believe in Jesus, what do they say? They'll say, you are a homophobe, you are Islamophobe, you are a racist, you are backward-thinking, anti-science hillbilly. That's what they'll say. If you truly profess to believe in what you believe in, if you truly live out what you truly profess to believe in, the world will hate you, Jesus says. The world will come after you. The world will harass you. The world will belittle you. The world will revile you. Revile means hate. The world will revile you. And if they do, Jesus says, you know you're doing right. 
you know you're in your right, you, 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 you know that you're in the right position with me. Let's talk about why would the world persecute Christians? Why do the world hate Christians according to Jesus? Two, and two reasons. Number one, they hate us because God is righteous. And people of God, God makes righteous. And the world hates righteousness. That's the first reason. The world hates God and hates Christians because the world hates righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness, as we talked about before, um, it, 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 when the Bible talks about righteousness, it primarily conveys three major points. The first major point that it conveys is it conveys the character of God. God is righteous, which means God is upright, right, as, as opposed to being crooked. God is not crooked. God is upright. When, when the scripture says God is righteous, it also means God is correct all the time as opposed to being wrong. And when scripture says God is righteous, it means that God, God, um, God is truth as opposed, to, he is as opposed to lie. That he is the truth, he is correct, he is right, and he sees all things, he judges all things according to his right standard. Righteousness is God's character. God is righteous. He himself is righteous. He is correct all the time. He is upright all the time. He is truthful all the time. That's the first meaning of righteousness in Scripture. The second meaning of righteousness in Scripture is what Jesus does to his people. Jesus makes his people righteous. The reason Jesus came into the world is to make his people righteous. Righteousness, we, we were unrighteous. We were crooked. We were wrong. We lived, we lived life according to lies. And because of it, we were in the wrong relationship with God. Unrighteousness means it's not only our wrong actions and wrong belief system, it conveys our, 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 our wrong relationship with God. Jesus has come to, make this, to, uh, to amend this wrong relationship that we have, we have with God, and he makes us righteous again. And the way he makes us righteous is by dying for us, by paying the penalty for our sins, and by being resurrected. The main purpose of Jesus is to come into the world so that God will forgive us through his death so that we will become righteous. So in scripture, righteousness conveys the work of Christ. Christ has come to make us righteous. And when we, when we believe in Christ, when we profess his name, when we truly believe in Christ, God declares that we are righteous. And the third thing that righteousness conveys is what the work that God does in the heart of his people while we live on this earth. Those whom God declared righteous through Christ, God spends the entirety of our lives here making us what, we, what he declared us to be. In Christ, he declared, us, he declared us righteous, right, upright, correct. And for the duration of our lives, the Holy Spirit, the church is involved so that we will become what we are called to be, which is righteous. Does that make sense? Look, the, let me, the, 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 the common example that, that is common in our church is, people say to me, like, once I was like this, once I lived like this, once I talked like this, but now I don't do it anymore. After salvation, I don't do it anymore. 
It's like I was sleeping before. Now I feel that I'm woken up, they say. Before I lived a life of selfishness, I lived a life of addiction, before I lived a life of a certain way, but after Christ came into my life, I don't do that anymore. That is God changing you to be a righteous person. And you will continually do that in your life in this world. As you live in this world, the, Holy Spirit, the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus Christ so that you will become more and more righteous. You will live more and more correct life. Right? I think that's your experience, right? Three years ago, one year ago, you thought certain things were right. But now you don't. Why? Because God is making you righteous. That's what he does. He's making you righteous. That's how you know the Holy Spirit is working in your life. If you're becoming more and more righteous, if your thoughts become more and more clear, if your actions become more and more correct, if you start loving the things that you should love and hating the things that you should hate, that's God making you righteous. And if you're a Christian, you need to be able to confess that that is, God, that is what God is doing to you right now. You are more righteous than you were before. And you will continually be more righteous as you live your life. Look, last year, I thought I was like, good. I have the knowledge of God. You know, I, I thought I was all good last year. But looking back last year, today, I'm an idiot. And that's the thing, right? Like every Christian, when you look back upon year after year, when you look upon your past life, past year, you realize how much God has changed you. That is God making you righteous. So God is righteous. Christ has came to make, you declare, to make you righteous in front of God. And those whom God makes righteous, God works in your life to make you what you, what you are, which is righteousness. Is it clear? Right? Please. It's clear, right? But the thing about the world is the world hates righteousness. They hate it. Why? Because that's the original sin. The world does not want to confirm, conform to God's righteousness. It, wants to, it has its own idea of righteousness. It has its own idea of right and wrong. Right? It has its own idea of right and wrong. And compared to its own idea of what right and wrong is, God's righteousness, God's definition of right and wrong, is offensive. Because God's righteousness reveals how wrong the world's righteousness is. And they hate it. How do you know? There's a couple of examples, right? Like, like the very first example, Garden of Eden. What made Adam and Eve rebel against God? Satan says, look, you don't need God to, to, to determine what is right and wrong. You can make that decision for yourself. And Adam and Eve go, okay. So they bite the, bite the fruit. So the heart of their rebellion is they don't need God to be righteous. They can make that determination for themselves. I, have a, I want to judge everything in the world based upon my standards, and my standard is what is supreme. If you, and, and according to my standards, God's standards is offensive. We want to believe in my standards as opposed to God's standards, and when you, when you examine my standard in light of God's standards, God's standard is offensive. I want to sleep with whoever I want. If I love them, I won't have sex with them. It's, that's my, as long as I love them, I can have sex with them. That's what a lot of unbelieving parents say to their kids, right? You sleep with someone that you love. God's standard is sleep with your husband and wife. Don't sleep with anyone until you, you're married. That's stupid, right? Modern people will say. That's back, 
That's the way that God controls women, right? Right? It's stupid. It's offensive. My righteousness clashes with God's righteousness. Right? My righteousness, God's righteousness is a rebuke of my, of my righteousness. And that's why the world hates it. Psalm 2. The psalmist says, the rulers of the world thinks God's law are a chain around them. Psalm 2, the rulers of the world want to, be, want to break free from the chains of God. Right? We want to be Hulk. God's chain is like, like ugh, God's righteousness, God's rules are just binding us. The rulers of the world want to be broke free from it. Because they find God's law oppressive. And they want to be free. Paul in Romans chapter 7. I was like re- reading Romans over and over again this week. Romans, Paul's argument in Romans chapter 7 is this. He says, when I look at God's law, there's a part of me that recognizes that this is good. Right? Part of me recognizes obeying my parents is good. Not coveting is good. Not hating, not committing murder is good. Not doing adultery is good. There's a part of me that recognizes the holiness of God's law. But Paul says, there's another part of me that hates God's law, that don't want to do God's law. And that part of me overwhelms the part of me that wants to do God's law. Paul is describing the mind of an unbeliever. Certainly, unbelievers and believers alike recognize certain things to be good and true. But the problem with sin is there is part of something in us, even though we recognize things to be good, we don't want to do it. We find God's law binding and offensive, and we don't want to do it. We want to live our own way. That's the heart and mind of an unbeliever. The righteous standards of God, is, it clashes with their standard of righteousness. Right? It totally disagrees with their standard of righteousness. And it's a rebuke on those standards of righteousness. That's why they hate. They hate believers. I'll give you an example. Look, I don't know whether you have experience of, like, you know, knowing brothers and sisters who try to live holy lives, right? Sometimes, occasionally, you run into these, like, you know, you know, these, these, uh, these hardcore Christians who want to live holy lives. They don't watch movies. They certainly don't watch Game of Thrones, right? Right? They don't, you know, you know, they don't, they don't, they, they honor the Sabbath by not going out to eat. And when you look at how they live, rather than respecting them, like how they live is kind of burdensome to you because they're living the life that you know that you ought to live. And rather than respecting them, let's be honest, you start to hate them a little bit. Because the way they live their lives is a rebuke on how you live your life. When you see a brother out there watching Game, not watching Game of Thrones, and when you turn on Game of Thrones, that guy's existence is a, oh, it's a thorn. Oh. If you have people who actually live righteous lives in front of you, rather than loving them, there will be a burden on you. Because their life will be a rebuke on the way you live your life. 
if that is how believers feel amongst each other, how much will unbelievers feel about Christians who actually live a righteous life? If you truly are Christian, God declares you to be righteous in Christ, and God will continually make you live a righteous life, and that's true. But the more you live a righteous life, the more the world will be against you. Listen to me carefully. The world will not persecute you, but when you say you believe in God, it won't. The world will not persecute you when you say you will pray for the world. They won't. The world will not persecute you when you say to them, God loves them. You know what they will say? That's great, God. I love me too. We're in agreement. That's Paul Washer's statement. The world will not say, the world will not persecute you if you say God has a great plan for your life. And the unbeliever will say, me too, I have a great plan for my life. We're in agreement. The world will not persecute you when you say you go to church. The world will not persecute you when you, when you say, when you, I don't know, when you say come to my church. When you actually start to live the righteous life. When your life no longer just becomes words, but actual life. They will mock you. They will make fun of you. Because your life will be a rebuke against their sins. And they will not be able to stand you. If you don't, write, if you don't live righteously, they will have no problems with you. Do you understand? Look, if you, look, if you watch the same thing they watch, if you... Laugh at the same thing that if we laugh at the same thing that they laugh at, if we pursue after the same thing that they pursue after, if we drink the way they drink, right? If we go to the same places that they go, why would they be offended? But if you truly live a righteous life, you'll be a threat. You'll be an open rebuke. You'll be like PJ sermons every Sunday. Second thing that the world will hate you, persecute Christians, is because not only because they don't like righteousness, they hate righteousness, they hate Jesus Christ. Jesus says, blessed are you who, the, when the world, what does he say in verse 11? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus is saying the world will revile you, the world will hate you, the world will say false things against you because of me. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who says, Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe. John chapter 1. Jesus Christ created all things. Not only did he create all things, John chapter 1, he is the eternal logos, which means he is the foundation of reality. He is reality itself. Jesus is light. Jesus is truth itself. Right? Jesus is the creator. Jesus is reality. Jesus is truth. Not only that, Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, and he was born a human, and he suffered and died. God himself suffered and died to forgive our sins. Think about what, what, what we're really saying. What this really means is, there's something so horribly wrong about you, 
so horribly wretched about you, so horribly evil about you, that it took no less than God himself to die for you to forgive you. Right? My mom, when I was in Korea, I'm glad that she's not going to listen to the sermon, she hit a Mercedes-Benz Malbec, Maybach. I don't know what that car is, but she, she, she dented it. And she was freaking out because I don't, evidently that's a $200,000 car, right? And she thought even though insurance would cover it, she has to pay a lot. She was afraid that she had to pay a lot because that car is valuable, right? The more valuable the car, the more greater the price is, right? Look, think of, that's similar to Jesus. Because there's something so horribly wrong about you, the cost to forgive you is the death of God himself. Think about that. What do unbelievers believe in? We're all good. Christian is someone, Jesus is not only the truth, he's the foundation of reality, he's the one who had to die for you to forgive you. And, when you, and he's the only one that you, he's the only one through which that you will be saved. And if you don't believe in him, you will be eternally damned. Jesus is saying, there is no other truth besides for me. It's not in Islam. It's not in Confucianism. It's not in Judaism. It's certainly not within the American, like, you know, American dream. Salvation is not in anything. Salvation is only in Jesus Christ. Truth is not how you feel about yourself. Truth is not what the world tells you what truth is. Jesus Christ is truth itself. Reality is not what you make for yourself. Reality is who Jesus is. Truly convey this to the unbeliever. And the unbeliever will think that you're crazy. Say to the unbeliever, without for Jesus Christ, you will go to hell. That's what Jesus says, right? They'll say, how dare you judge me? You don't know my life. You don't know my truth. How dare you say you, go, you would send me to hell? And from their perspective, they're right, right? That's what Christians believe in. Salvation is only through Christ, and everyone else will go to hell. Will not the world find that offensive? How can it not be found that offensive? Look, I think I told you this example. There's this guy named, um, what's his name? What's his name, yo? What's his name? Man. Russell Vot 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 He's currently the deputy secretary. He's currently the deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget. Right? It's a cabinet level position. Right? And in order for him to have this position, he has to go through a confirmation hearing. Right? Senators have to grill him, ask him questions. Right? That's a confirmation hearing. And in and so what made Russell Vot so controversial was. He wrote an article after Wheaton College, which is a Christian college. Wheaton College is his alma mater. And Wheaton College, like four years ago, fired a professor. Because Wheaton College is a Christian university. And they fired a professor who, who taught their kids, the, the students, that, is, that Muslims and Christians worship the same God. Right? And the Wheaton College fired her. And, and in defense of Wheaton College's action about firing this professor, Right? Richard Volt wrote an article in Relevant Magazine. And, Rich, and, and in, this, in this article, Russell Volt wrote, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God. 
because they have rejected Jesus Christ as his son, and they stand condemned. So defending Wheaton College's action about firing a professor who says Jews and Christians and Muslims worship the same God, he says, Muslims don't have a wrong theology. They stand condemned because they do not know God because they reject Jesus Christ. Therefore, they're going to go to hell. That's what more or less Russell Volt wrote. And Bernie Sanders, good old Bernie, during the confirmation hearing, asked Mr. Russell Volt, Mr. Volt, you mean to tell me, right, that you think Muslims are going to go to hell? You think Jews are going to go to hell? Is that what you're saying? He says, Mr. Mr. Volt, I think your opinion is un-American. An American is American, and you're a bigot, and you should be ashamed of yourself. From Bernie Sanders' perspective, he's right. Rossovold clearly stated the gospel, right? And Bernie Sanders says, calls Rossovold a bigot, an Islamophobe, an un-American. Tried to convey the gospel to an unbeliever, and they will find you offensive. Tell them you will, not, you, you, are, you will not be spiritually, mentally healed if you don't know Jesus Christ. Tell them you are crazy if you don't know Jesus Christ. Because that's what Romans chapter 1 is saying, basically. Tell them that you are going to go to hell if you do not believe in him. Why won't the world persecute you? Why won't they make fun of you? That's what Jesus means here. I'm not saying go to your coworkers and say, hey, coworker, you're going to go to hell. Don't say that. But conveying the gospel message as truth itself, saying that you belong to Christ. And Jesus says they will revile you, say all sorts of false things against you. You know why the early church Christians were persecuted? Because they lived different lives, right? Early Roman culture, the promiscuity, having sleeping with whoever you want to sleep with was the norm. Christians only slept with their spouses. And that was a shocking revelation to them. Christians were different, right? Christians says Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans thought Caesar is God. So the way they lived their lives in holiness, in, in, in faithful, com- faithful commitment to Jesus Christ, was offensive to the Romans. So you know what they did? They, they started false rumors against, uh, about Christians. They hated Christians. They started false, spreading false rumors. What are some of the rumors that they spread? They say, hey, Chris, these Christian people, they're cannibals. Why? Because every day they drink the blood of Christ and eat of his flesh. As foolish as this sounds, people actually believe that. That was, that was a rumor in Rome. Hey, not only are they cannibals, but they're, in, they're incestuous people. Why? Because they marry their brothers and sisters. Christians were reviled because people thought they were incestuous cannibals. These wrong rumors were going throughout the Rome. If you profess to be Christian, people will spread rumors about you. They will say again that you are a homophobe. 
If you say to them, Jesus Christ is creator of all things, he's the truth. And he made man to be a man and woman to be a woman. If you say man is a man and woman is a woman, that is offensive to the world. In fact, in Canada, that's illegal to say that. It's offensive. And they will spread rumors about you. You know, I almost got reported to HR, right? Back in the day, right? And the reason why like, I got, almost got reported to HR, thank God someone stopped this person from reporting me to HR, is because I told this Muslim woman, hey, Muslims and, Jew, Muslims and Christians, they don't, we don't worship the same God. That statement angered her so much that she almost reported me to HR. If you truly live righteously, if you truly stand on Christ and who he is, well, not the world will be offended by you. I'm not, Paul, Jesus is not saying, go out there, try your best to be persecuted. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you are truly a Christian, just by the very nature of who you are, the world cannot stand you. And the tragedy of the modern church is that the church is not persecuted. In America, it's not persecuted. That's the tragedy. When I was a kid, like when I was in youth group, I watched this like movie, like a nineteen made in nineteen seventies. It's called The Thief in the Night. It's about like literal interpretation of revelations, and they made a movie out of it, right? And they saw Christians being persecuted, right? They saw Christians being hanged, Christians being in prison, and that movie freaked me out. And I thought, man, if I'm not raptured, if I'm being persecuted, that's like the worst thing ever. But Jesus' words is. The worst thing ever, the tragedy is not if you're persecuted. The tragedy is if you're not persecuted. If the church is not persecuted, that's the tragedy. Why? Because if the church is not prosecuted, persecuted, that's a clear evidence that the church is in line with the world. Like I said, if the church laughs at the same thing that the world laughs at, if the church has the same moral, behavior, moral standard as the world does, if the church's moral standard is exactly the same as the moral standard of CNN and Disney, there's something wrong. The world's not going to be offended. The world's not going to be offended for, for one of its own. Right? And that's, where, and that's the tragedy. That's where a lot of churches stand. The world, they are not offensive to them because they are like the world. The question we ask ourselves is, are people mocking you for your faith? Are people harassing you for your faith? Do they roll their eyes at you? Or do they think that you're one of them? First Peter uh, chapter four, verse four, it says, Peter says, "Unbelievers surprised are surprised that you do not join them in their, in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you." Peter is saying, "If you truly live the righteous life, you're going to be different from them, and, and the world will be surprised that you don't live like them. And not only will they be surprised that you don't live like them, they will heap abuse on you. 
this is a very messed up question, but are you kind of being abused a little bit for your faith? Not because you're a jerk, but because you want to live righteously. And you clearly, I surely identify yourself as a Christian. Or does the world think of you as one of its own? That's the question, right? But for those of us who are being persecuted, and I believe it is needed, right? I think not only is it needed, I think the church will, will, will be persecuted, especially in, in America, in a greater measure, right? Just by listening to the democratic debates, the people who have, who, the, all the democratic debates, they have a worldview that is contrary to a Christian worldview. Right? And, the, and, and the persecution of the, of the church in, in America is needed and it will happen, I think, within our lifetime. It, they will. And if God continues to work in you, and if God continues to work his work of righteousness in you, you will be abused by the world. Then the question is, how do you endure it? Jesus says, rejoice when the world persecute you. How do you, find, how do you rejoice when people say false things about you? When people call you a bigot, how do you, how do you, how do you, even even if, how how do you endure if they're willing to imprison you for what you believe in? The Bible says, how do you, how do you counter the, how do you deal with people who are persecuting you? Romans chapter twelve, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless them. The word blessing means, right? The word bless, blessing here means pray for their salvation. Like I said, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are those. When Jesus used the word blessed, he means the people, when, you, when, when God truly blesses someone, it means God is saving them. God is making them into the citizens of his kingdom. And Paul says, therefore, when people persecute you, rather than retaliate, understand that they need salvation. And the reason why they're persecuting you is because they are not saved. The very reason they persecute you is the very, it, it shows clearly that they are not righteous. It shows clearly that they are against Christ. For such people, rather than retaliate against them, you need to pray that God will save them just as God has saved you. Bless them. But the only way that you will pray for a blessing to people who are persecuting you is if you understand from your core that you were once like them. You once hated righteousness. You once found Jesus Christ offensive. But by his mercy, he has made you his. If you see yourself as, as, the, as the type of person who once were like them, who, were who was unrighteous, who really did hate Jesus Christ. But God made you his because of the blood of his, through the blood of his son. If you truly understand that about yourself from your core, you will be able to pray blessings on, the, on your persecutors. Do you understand? But if you never really understood that, if you never really understood that, Jesus, that you were once unrighteous, that if you never understood that once Jesus Christ it was very offensive to you, if you never understand that, number one, the world will not persecute you because you're, more, you're, you're, you're like them. And two, you will not be able to love those who are, who are against you because you don't know the forgiveness that you receive in Jesus Christ. 
That's what makes nominal Christianity so dangerous. Cultural Christians are very dangerous. Cultural Christians are people who are raised in the church and thinking just because they were raised in the church, they are Christians. Look, I had a Muslim like, co-worker one day, like once, and I asked my Muslim co-worker, hey, Muslim co-worker, do you fast during Ramadan? He says, nope. Do you go to, do you go to the mosque? Nope. Do you believe the Quran? Nope. Are you Muslim? Yep. How are you Muslim? You, you don't believe in the three tenets of your faith. How are you Muslim? He said, because I was raised Muslim, he says. He doesn't believe in any of the things that the, is like the, 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 the Quran teaches. He doesn't adhere. He eats pork, right? Just, but he identifies himself as Muslim because he was raised in a Muslim culture. And that can be said about so many Christians. If you never understood that once you were unrighteous, once you were just like the people that persecute the Christians, but Jesus Christ saved you despite of your unrighteousness, if you never understood this, you cannot pray for your persecutors. But if you truly knew that you deserved hell, for the unrighteous living the way you live. But he showed his mercy upon you. If you truly knew that, how will you not bless those who persecute you? So you bless those who persecute you. And second, Jesus says, rejoice when people persecute you because great is your reward in heaven. How do you deal with the persecution in this world? Focus on the kingdom of God where your eternal, eternal destiny lies. If you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, if you're persecuted because of his name, you will store up rewards in heaven. Jesus says, focus on the things of heaven. Focus on the things of the kingdom of God. Focus on where you will be and not what you will gain in this world. Jesus is saying, the world will hate you. So don't be so obsessed about making it in this world. Because by your very nature, the world disagrees with you. So don't freak out when you don't get the things of this world. Don't be too obsessed about not making it, not I mean, making a name for yourself, not finding security in this world. Don't be obsessed with that. It's good that God gave you a job. It's good that God gave you a wife. It's good that God gave you a house. And it's good. Enjoy them, I guess. Serve God in your place of work. Right? Live quiet lives, Paul says. But don't be so obsessive as if your life will be over because you don't gain the things of the world. Because you're not meant to get the things of this world. Can't you see? You're meant to get the things of, the, things of eternity. Look, my son yesterday took the ACT. Right? Someone, he said ACTs are more Asian-friendly because it's more science and math rather than reading. Right? And one of his friends got a perfect score of the ACT. And he couldn't sleep the night before the ACT. And I said, why can't you sleep? Is it because you think you're, gonna do, you're not going to do well? He says, no. He said, I'm afraid that I'm not going to make, get a perfect score, just like that Indian kid. I don't want to be racist, but, you know, that's the Indian kid, <laughs> right? And he says, so I go, why, do you, why are you so upset? He says, if I don't get a perfect score, then I'm not going to go to Carnegie Mellon, right? And I'm like, there's a script, right? They're like, I'm not gonna, my life's not going to turn out well. And I said, relax. 
Life will not be the way you thought it will be. Don't be so obsessed about the things of this life. As good things of this life is, it's not forever. It's not eternity. If you are obsessed about what the world thinks of you and making it in this world, when the world persecute you, you will not be able to handle it, right? But if this view of your view of this world is something that will just pass, and it will, and, and there's great reward waiting for you if you live righteously and if you, name, if you live for the name of Jesus Christ, the great is your eternity. You live for that, Jesus says. And that's what Paul did in prison. Disciple, the apostles, they were preaching Christ until the moment they died. They said, like, I think one of the disciples were crucified, Peter was crucified upside down until the very moment of his death. He was preaching the gospel. Because things of the world didn't matter to them. What matters is eternity. Focus on that. That's the way you overcome persecution. Are you being persecuted? People rolling their eyes at you? People call you a bigot and a racist? I mean, you shouldn't be a bigot and a racist, right? But are they saying false things about you? Good. That's what it ought to be. Bless those who persecute you. Focus on the things of Christ. You will find joy in your persecution. Jesus Christ guaranteed that, and that's true. Let's pray.